0: Welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really like the monthly segment of our full-time strength staff meeting called Tough Questions. These questions are our questions of the month. We ask ourselves these questions, we put together our own individual thoughts, and then we share our thoughts with each other. And I've been sitting on these topics for a while, and two out of three of them came from Twitter. And if I see something interesting or a hot take on Twitter that a a respectable strength coach tweeted out, I'll screenshot it, I'll write it down, and then I'll start forming my own opinions on the matter. Now, like with everything, I love getting our staff's point of view on things as well because it better helps me create my own thoughts and opinions. And I have quite a few more tweets saved, so I doubt this will be the last time that we have a discussion based on something that I saw on social media. But for the time being, I hope. You enjoy my conversation. On Monday during our full-time strength staff meeting, we had another conversation that we have dubbed as tough questions. Now, this is the third episode I've done on this topic, but this go-around is a little bit different. It wasn't so much a singular tough question that we discussed as a strength uh, strength staff, but it was topics that I had found on Twitter. Now, the first two topics I did find on Twitter, uh, on social media, While the last one really just came from me being a stubborn old strength coach, um, but I'll explain that in a little bit. First off, let me break down the topics and our general thoughts on the matter. So, the first topic that we discussed, and once again, this came from Twitter, these aren't my words, and I'm also paraphrasing, but the topic was, or the comment made on Twitter was, Hey, this is a strength coach speaking. My sport coach thinks his sport is so special. It's not. For the most part, part, Sports strength and conditioning plans should be about 90% the same. So, what this strength coach was saying is that it didn't matter if it was baseball or men's soccer, that 90% of the strength and conditioning program should be the same. So, the question we had to ask ourselves was hey, do you agree with this? For the most part, is 90% of all of our strength and conditioning plans applicable to all of our sports? And I think our unanimous answer right off the bat was, hey, it it depends, but these are the things we landed on. If we are talking about athletes of the same age, athletes of the same training age, and the time allotted for strength conditioning is the same, and we are referring to our, let's call them our traditional sports. So we're taking sports like rifle and bowling and archery out of the picture. I think our answer was yes. Every sport, especially early in their off season, and especially at Kentucky, they should have the same general movement patterns. All of our teams are gonna squat, they're gonna hinge, they're gonna lunge, they're gonna press, they're gonna pull, and they're gonna do all this in multiple planes of motion. Now, the good follow-up question that Coach D brought to us was, okay, we agree on that, but let's break down what the difference is. So within that 10%, what's different and here are the things that we talked about so the first thing i think we discussed was hey conditioning so no matter what conditioning drill you're doing within that 10 percent is probably going to be the specifics of it so our soccer conditioning drill is going to look a lot different than our gymnastics team's conditioning drills and i think the same thing goes for agility drills as well and i'll give you this example I would do similar agility drills for our volleyball team as I would with our women's basketball program as well. But the exact patterns that they did within that agility drill would be specific uh, specific to their sport. And then the size of the drill would be different as well, because we all know a basketball court is much larger than just one side of the volleyball court. So we'll say that my agility drill for uh, our women's basketball team would be 10 to 15 yards in length, whereas the, Volleyball version of that would be much shorter. It would be around five yards. And I think the last thing we landed on with this topic was, all right, also within that 10% is going to be the, let's call it the prehab that you do with a team based on their needs analysis. So the example we gave is their baseball team. Coach D is going to be doing a lot more shoulder work with that group as opposed to our men's soccer program where Coach Jones is going to be hitting on ankles and knees and hip mobility a lot more than shoulders not saying that our men's soccer team's not going to do any shoulder work not saying that our baseball team isn't going to do any hip mobility work it's all important but i think within that 10 percent difference you're going to be more heavily for baseball it's going to be more heavily relied on shoulder work where men's soccer is going to be more heavily uh, weighed in hip mobility so That's a general breakdown of that first topic. Really good discussion that we had as a staff. Now, moving on to topic number two. This one was, okay. It was a tweet by several strength coaches, both on different sides of it, but the general question was, is it okay for an athlete to bend over, grab their shorts after a hard conditioning run or workout and like I said, there seem to be two sides of this controversy. And when I say controversy, I'm obviously exaggerating, but one side, let's call them team mental toughness. And they said, Hey, if you finish a run and you bend over, you are mentally weak. Once again, their words, not mine. And then on the other side of it, there was team recovery position, because apparently a study was done and it stated that If you bend over, you are able to take in more air, more oxygen, which is going to allow you to recover quicker, which is obviously contradictory to what we all heard when we were younger, which was, hey, as soon as you got done with a run, you walked around, you put your hands on top of your head, and that is the proper way to recover. Now, let me give you my thoughts. First off, I am not on team mental toughness. (laughs) And I'll tell you this, it's one of my pet peeves that when people say, hey, we're doing this for mental toughness, when almost 100% of the time they were referring to something that is physical, that is one of my current pet peeves is saying that this is developing some sort of mental toughness when everything that they are doing is referring to something physical in regards to exercise. So I am not on team mental toughness. But... I think us having this conversation, the biggest note that I wrote down is like, hey, this is going to be a good conversation for us in the future. And I think a good, tough question for us moving forward is, hey, let's define toughness. Let's define physical toughness. Let's define mental toughness. So we can move forward and all be using the same terminology in regards to this topic. Now on this matter of bending over, like I said, I'm not on team mental toughness, but I also don't want our student athletes to think that that's okay. I think it's a bad habit and in my mind the perception that i have of somebody that is killed over after a hard workout or after a hard run is that he or she can't go another round they can't go another set they can't go another point an inning whatever it might be and i'm a firm believer of we play how we practice so if i'm about to go into overtime and let's use basketball in this scenario if i let our student athletes bend over, grab their shorts. More than likely, they're going to be doing that on the playing court or field as well. And if I'm on a basketball team and we just got out of a timeout, we're going into overtime and I look across the court and the team I'm playing is bent over. They're huffing and puffing. Even though that I'm tired, I see that their conditioning is not on my level. I'm going into this overtime confident. I'm ready to attack. And If the other team that is huffing and puffing looks over at me, I'm walking around, I'm high-fiving, I'm energetic, that team's motivation, that team's drive is probably going to go right through the toilet because for the most part, perception is reality. So I always want our student-athletes to be putting out the vibe that they could, they could go another round if needed, even though they might be cashed out. Physically, they might be cashed out. I always want the vibe that they're putting out is like, hey, no matter how I'm feeling inside, what I'm projecting to the world is that I could go another round. And that's my thought on the matter. Now, I think Gibby had another thought and it was a really good thought. And he's obviously one of our younger members on our staff. And he went back to his playing days and um, he played football in college So he was saying like, hey, if I was doing a fitness run back in the day and I busted my butt, I won the shuttle run that we were doing. He earned the right to recover however the hell he wanted. He won. He worked. He worked his tail off. He's fit. So why does it matter if he grabs his shorts or not after a hard workout? Like I said, I respected his, his thought and I thought it was well thought out. And where we landed was kind of a compromise. And it all came back to this analogy that I thought of in the moment. Um, and I wanted to share that with you guys. So, this is the analogy grabbing your shorts and bending over after a hard workout is like us using a belt while doing a squat in the weight room. The belt helps, it's gonna help us squat more weight. No questions asked. If this research study, is accurate where they're saying hey if you're bending over that can help you recover then that's a tactic that we should use as well just not all the time if we are doing a sub-maximal run if we are doing submaximal back squats we should not use that tool and that tool being the belt or bending over we don't want to create a crutch we don't want to create a habit of us always needing that belt or always needing that recovery method we want to establish those solid habits so we don't have to rely on that crutch so that's where we landed with that conversation as well and i think our final thought with that let me add this is that it really comes down to communication that you have with your student athletes so if we are about to do a super hard run i need to make sure that i'm talking to the athletes beforehand being like hey we're gonna bust our butt today as soon as you cross that line if you fall over, you dive through the line, you have to grab your shorts, you have to lay down. That's okay because I know you're going to be I know you're going to be hurting after this run. But on the flip side of it of it as well is like if we're doing a sub sub-maximal, submaximal repeat runs and I'm saying, "Hey, after we get done with this, I want us to be able to walk 50 yards and back, control our breathing, turn around and cheer on our other teammates that are still running." That is the intention of that workout. And I got to make sure as a strength coach that I'm communicating that to the student athletes. So finishing up that topic and moving on to the last one, like I mentioned before, this did not come from Twitter. This came from me and my stubbornness. And the topic was, I do not use hex bars in my own training or my team's training and the rest of the staff does. I do not. And I wanted them to change my mind changed my mind and convinced me to start using a hex bar now let me go through my beef with hex bars first all i do not think they are an efficient piece of equipment essentially the only two things you can do with a hex bar is deadlift it and then you can do some sort of weighted squat jump with them as well and i can do both of those things with a good old-fashioned barbell so why do i need a hex bar? I also don't like it that at least the hex bars that we have are not 45 pounds. Some of them are 50 something pounds. Some of them are in the 60s. And I don't like having to figure out what bar I'm using and doing hex bar math after that. I just like good old fashioned normal barbell math, a barbell that weighs 45 pounds. Uh, Next point I said to them is I've watched our teams, other teams, not my teams use hex bars in the past. And it seems like they're hard to load and unload. So when it comes down to time efficiency and if there's limited time with the team, I just can't get behind using this piece of equipment if it's gonna take that much time to load and unload. And then the last point I had was, I love the Olympic lifts. If you didn't know that about me, then you you know now, but in regards to programming and checking off boxes that I created from a needs analysis, the olympic lifts are just so versatile and since you can only do a couple things with a hex bar i just don't see how those movements with that piece of equipment is going to be able to add value to my program now i will say this before i move on any further the staff had some great points that they threw at me and it ended up with me the following day grabbing a hex bar using it in my own workout grabbing a hex bar and using it in a individual workout that I had with one of our volleyball players, Maddie Brezowitz, and it went great. And I wanted to give you a general breakdown of what they said to me. First off, they showed me how to load the hex bar correctly. And the athletes I was watching the other day were just knuckleheads and just weren't doing it properly because it took three of them to load one side of the barbell. But my staff showed me how to do it. So now I know how to load the hex bar properly. Um... They also brought up the point like, hey, the hex bar movements, they're super easy to teach and you can teach them quickly. So while our teams, uh, our incoming student athletes are going through their lifting orientation process and they're learning how to squat, uh, snatch, clean, jerk, all those good things, you can actually throw in some hex bar movements in the meantime while they're learning those barbell lifts and you can continue to develop their strength and power. And that was a a great point I thought they made. And then lastly, they said, hey, Spurlock, this is a tool. It's a tool in our toolbox. We have the equipment. Why not use it? Why not play around with it? Obviously, there are some limitations, but if if it can help move the needle even slightly, then that's going to make us good stewards of our resources. And I think that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me where I needed to make sure that I'm being a good steward of the equipment that we have. If I can learn something from using this piece of equipment and it can help my student, student athletes out even a little bit, I have that knowledge, I have that resourceful tool and then it's all gonna be good from there. So like I said, their comments definitely made me the next day pick up a hex bar, use it in my workout and with one of our volleyball players as well. And that's a recap of our tough questions for September. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Never hesitate to reach out to us with any questions or comments at UKStrength at UKY.edu. Thanks, and Go Cats!